Welcome to Mammoth Community Christian Church. It's great to worship the Lord with you today as we gather here once again. During our pandemic, as COVID-19 spread across our world, something else also spread, and that is fear. Just last week, someone in our church shared with me that the spread of the Delta, the Delta variant has been, in their words, very frightening. Throughout the past 17 months, there's been a widespread recognition that this little virus, if we catch it, we could be fine, we could be asymptomatic, or we could die. And so throughout our world, this fear has been spreading, this fear of death, this, this new confrontation with our mortality. But today, in Jesus' words to Smyrna, we're going to hear something that he also speaks to us. And these words that Jesus speaks to the church in Smyrna and to us today are this, do not be afraid. I'm currently preaching a series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And the last time I spoke, we turned our attention to Jesus' words to the church in Smyrna. We saw that Jesus was calling his people in Smyrna to look beyond the surface appearance of things, the surface appearance of their situation to the true reality beyond the surface. This city on the surface, it appeared to be the most beautiful city of them all. But it was a city in which terrible and ugly things were about to happen. And the way Jesus prepares his people to survive these events is to enable them to see these events and their situation as they truly are, not just as they appear on the surface. Although the citizens of Smyrna took pride in the beauty of their wonderful city, the most beautiful city in the world, in their region at least, Jesus reminds them that he's greater than all earthly greatness. When we look at the power, the glory, the majesty of Jesus Christ, all earthly human glory, fades away, and compared to his glory, all human pride in earthly greatness is revealed to be nothing more than hollow and empty ignorance. Jesus then acknowledges the crushing pressure, the severe poverty that the believers in Smyrna face, but then he lifts the veil to reveal to them the true inner reality of the situation and this true inner reality has the power to give them hope in every situation he tells them i know your affliction and your poverty this crushing pressure on the surface of your life but the deeper reality of your situation is this yet you are rich We then looked at the specific rumors, the specific slander that spread about the early churches throughout the Roman Empire, and the reasons why these early believers were vulnerable to persecution throughout the empire. 
If you only stand back, if you, if you just look at the church from a distance, if you only hear the rumors and the slander, then you're going to think all types of false things. But to know the truth, to enter into the inner reality, you need to examine the teachings of Jesus Christ for yourself. And when you do, you'll discover that he invites us to enter into a living relationship with God through him. Let's read again Jesus' words to the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. I've never liked roller coasters for one simple reason. I absolutely hate drops. I don't mind speed. I like speed. I don't mind the twists and turns. I don't even mind going upside down. But it's that falling feeling where it's like your stomach leaps into your throat and you're just dropping. That is, for me, one of the worst feelings I can experience. And so I hate, I hate roller coasters. And my wife knows this. Early in our relationship, I remember we went to an amusement park and she went on the wildest, craziest, scariest rides while I sat quietly on a bench nearby. And I remember this, this one absolutely horrifying ride she went on where it would take her way upside down, very, very high in the air, and, it, and then it would drop her and with this twisting, falling motion, and then it would, she'd go way up in the air again, way, way, way upside down and twisting. And I remember on this bench looking up at my, my wife, way up high in the air, as she's upside down, right before she's about to drop, and she has this huge smile on her face. She loved it. If I had been sitting next to her, my expression would have been very different. Now, because I hate drops, there's one part of the roller coaster ride that I, I hate more than any other part. It's that part where you're climbing that first huge hill on the roller coaster. You're just slowly creeping up. There's often a loud clicking noise below you, and you're slowly inching your way up every inch that you're about to plummet, right? And, and you're slowly moving your way up into the air, knowing that you're about to have this horrible, horrible drop over the hill. And then the, the very worst moment of that is when you get to the top 
and you begin to crest over that highest hill, and with your eyes, you start to peek down at the hill, at the incredible distance that you're about to drop. And I remember in these moments when I'd be on the roller coaster, people around me would start screaming. We're not even dropping yet, but, but just they can just see how far we're about to drop, and they start screaming. Myself, I, I never could scream, actually, because I could barely breathe in those moments. Screaming would have been a relief. That meant that I would be able to breathe, but I couldn't even breathe. Jesus' words to the church in Smyrna would have felt to them a lot like this moment. When you get to the top of that highest hill of the roller coaster as you begin to crest and look over and you begin to see exactly how far down you're about to drop. Jesus speaks very difficult words to this church, words that would have absolutely taken their breath away. He tells them that they're about to suffer They're about to be tested. They're about to be persecuted. Some of them will even lose their lives. And yet Jesus calls them to shift their vision away from the appearance of things to eternal things. And so Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. The problem, though, is that Jesus is telling us not to be afraid, but we're always afraid when we know that we're about to suffer. I always feel deeply uncomfortable when my roller coaster car crests the top of the highest hill and I look down at how far that I'm about to drop. And yet in this moment, as the church in Smyrna is looking down at the distance that they're about to drop through suffering and persecution and prison and death, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Jesus then describes in detail for these believers the things that they're about to suffer. He tells them that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, when we read about the Christians of the early church being sent to prisons in the Roman Empire, we need to keep in mind that these prisons were far worse than our prisons are today. If you're sent to one of those prisons back, then you were often tortured so that authorities could extract confessions from you. You were tortured so that maybe you'd give information about other criminals. When you think of these ancient prisons, think of Paul and Silas in Philippi. Think of them being severely beaten. Think of them being locked with their feet in stockades and being left with their bloody wounds. And then they would pray and sing hymns to God throughout the night. Not only were Christians mistreated, 
in Roman prisons. But then they looked, they, they were in prison, they, they were waiting there for a trial, and they knew that when they went to trial, the odds were very high that they could be killed, sentenced to death, and, and then you'd be executed very quickly. And here Jesus is allowing the believers in Smyrna to look over the crest of the roller coaster hill to see how far that they're about to drop. He's allowing them to see the brutal suffering that's about to come upon them in their life. But then he directs them to turn their attention to the deeper reality beyond the drop to turn their eyes to their eternal hope. And so he instructs them, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Jesus then tells them that they'll suffer for 10 days. Now keep in mind that throughout the book of Revelation, we find many symbolic allusions to the Old Testament. And it's likely that this mention of 10 days does not refer to 10 literal days, but rather it represents a set period of time in which God is allowing his people to be persecuted. In fact, some think that this reference to 10 days here is actually an allusion to those 10 days back in the book of Daniel when Daniel and his friends were tested for 10 days. When they refused to eat the food from the king's table, the king of Babylon, the food that was forbidden them, and instead they would only eat vegetables. They would remain faithful to their God rather than compromising to the, the culture around them. Jesus is telling the believers, yes, a time of testing is about to come upon you in Smyrna. But God wants you to know that there's a set duration to this time. There will be a point when this test comes to an end. Whenever I run or do some other exercise that, that involves endurance, it always helps me to know that the strenuous activity I'm doing has a point where it's going to come to an end. Just run a little longer. Just swim a little further. Just ride that exercise bicycle a little bit longer. And as we press on, there will come a point when it comes to an end, when we get through to the other side. This is part of the hope that Jesus is giving the believers in Smyrna. It's a promise that their time of sharp and painful persecution will not last forever. It will come to an end. Be strong. Continue on. Don't give up. Because there's coming a day when your current time of trial will come to an end. Jesus then tells the believers in Smyrna exactly which entity is causing their suffering. We were reminded the last time I spoke that often uh, 
when believers in the ancient Roman Empire experienced persecution, a lot of it was caused by mis- misunderstandings and misperceptions that, that others had of the believers. Jesus from the cross acknowledges this when he himself prays about those who are crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. When persecution targets God's people, though, there's more than just an ignorant mob and ungodly authorities. There's also an entity standing behind ignorant mobs and ungodly authorities, an entity who works through them to oppose and to try to destroy the church. In our passage today, Jesus tells us that this entity is the devil, Earlier in John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we find an even more vivid description of, of how the devil works and tries to destroy God's people and how the devil causes persecution for the church there we read this be alert and sober be alert and of sober mind your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings Jesus is promising the believers in Smyrna that the devil himself will put some of you in prison to test you. And that these believers in Smyrna are about to enter into this period of a very painful persecution. Yes, it has a set duration, but it will be painful. They're on a horrible roller coaster. They're cresting over the top of the highest hill. They're looking down at the distance. They're about to drop. And yet Jesus tells them, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. To understand why, Jesus gives the church in Smyrna and us today this command not to fear what we're about to suffer. We need to again look beyond the appearance of things to the true spiritual reality beyond the surface. We need to know that reality is not only what our eyes see and perceive, the suffering and the death around us, that terrifying drop of the roller coaster. There's also a spiritual experience. There's a spiritual dimension to these experiences that we can perceive in the moment of trial through the help of the Holy Spirit. And we catch a glimpse of this spiritual dimension in Hebrews chapter 12 where we read about um, where we read about the motivation that Jesus Christ had to endure through his suffering and his death on the cross. There we read this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, Jesus faced unspeakable suffering and, and, and shame and affliction on the cross, but there was also joy set before him. He endured through the suffering and the death with his attention fixed on the joy that would be his and ours through the eternal life that he offers us through his death. You see, there are multiple layers to every experience of suffering that God leads us through as his people. There's the immediate layer of suffering and death that confronts each one of us. But there's also a deeper layer in which we experience God's presence as He walks with us, as He, is, as he sustains our eternal hope. There's joy set before us as well in every situation through Jesus' presence with us that enables us to endure. C.S. Lewis helps me at this point see how there's a surface appearance to our lives that includes the suffering and hardship we experience, but then how there's also a deeper layer that's more determinative, that reinterprets and reframes everything else that gives us hope to endure, strength to press forward toward joy. Last week, one of the youth came up to me. I haven't mentioned C.S. Lewis for months, but one of the youth came up to me and asked me, why do you like C.S. Lewis so much? And I think he thought I'd only give him one reason. I gave him about five. And one of them is that Lewis provides allegories for us that teach us the truth of Scripture, but that help us to see that truth from a new angle, from a fresh perspective. For example, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was the first book published in the Chronicles of Narnia series, there's a point where the white witch who represents the devil demands the life of young Edmund who had betrayed his brother and sisters. The white witch confronts Aslan. Remember, Aslan is a great lion who in these books represents Jesus. The white witch confronts Aslan and demands the right to kill Edmund based on the deep magic from the dawn of time. In the following quote I'll read, the word magic is used in the sense of a law that governs reality. The emperor refers to God the Father. Let me read a scene in which the white witch confronts Aslan, demanding the death of the traitor Edmund. She says this, Have you forgotten the deep magic? Let us say I have forgotten it, answered Aslan gravely. Tell us of this deep magic. Tell you, said the witch, her voice growing suddenly shriller, tell you what is written on that very table of stone which stands beside us? Tell you what is engraved on the scepter of the emperor beyond the sea? You at least know the magic which the emperor put into Narnia at the very beginning. 
You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and that for every treachery I have a right to a kill. A character loyal to Aslan then tries to argue with the white witch, but she answers harshly, Fool, said the witch, with a savage smile that was almost a snarl. Do you really think your master can rob me of my rights by mere force? He knows the deep magic better than that. He knows that unless I have blood, as the law says, all Narnia will be overturned and perish in fire and water. It is very true, said Aslan. I do not deny it. You see, the deep magic since the dawn of time here is an allegory of the simple truth of Scripture that the wages of sin is death. That when we reject God, who's the source of life, the result and the consequence of that rejection of God that we deserve is death, eternal separation from Him. The traitor Edmund deserves to die. And you and I, as sinners who have rejected God, we too deserve to die. Aslan then speaks to the White Witch privately, and during this conversation, as the reader learns later, he arranges for himself to be killed in the place where the traitor Edmund's life should be taken. Aslan chooses to be the substitute who dies in Edmund's place. In a scene that's an allegory of the crucifixion of Christ, Aslan surrenders himself to the army of the white witch and allows himself to be beaten, allows his long flowing mane to be shaved, and then allows the wicked mob finally to kill him. Now, if the only reality of our lives is the surface appearance of things, of suffering and death, and if there's no hope beyond death, then Aslan's death and Christ's death on the cross and the suffering and the persecution and the death of the believers in Smyrna would be tragic ends to be avoided at all costs. But Jesus tells these believers, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The reason they are not to be afraid is that there's something beyond the surface appearance of things. There's joy set before him. There's, there's eternal hope stronger than death that the world does not see or understand. After Aslan is killed, after the white witch and all her followers leave, and after the sun rises the next morning, Lucy and Susan, who'd been hiding off in the bushes watching the horrible spectacle of Aslan's death, they leave their hiding spot, they walk up to his dead, cold body. They're full of grief and sorrow that Aslan is now dead. There he lies, dead and cold, no life at all. But they cannot guess what's about to happen next. Their attention is consumed by the tragedy right in front of them. All their eyes can see is the surface appearance of things. 
Suddenly, though, a deeper reality breaks into this scene of suffering and death. Aslan rises from the dead. He stands before them more majestic than ever before. Full of surprise, Susan then asks Aslan, but what does it all mean? It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. This is the deeper magic from before the dawn of time. Aslan is teaching Lucy and Susan that there's a deeper reality beyond the surface of things. Yes, there is suffering and death, but there's also joy set before us. There's also eternal hope stronger than death. So too, Christ's death was more than it appeared on the surface. On the surface, we only see the suffering and the death. But beyond the surface, God was at work through Jesus' death to set us free from the fear of death. You see, Jesus can tell the believers in Smyrna, not to fear because of what he did through his death on the cross. Hebrews 2 describes this. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. By Jesus' death, he breaks the devil's power over death and sets us free from our fear of death. There are far worse things than death to fear. And so Jesus commands the believers in Smyrna, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer because there's also joy set before you. There's also eternal hope stronger than death. What we should fear most of all is being separated from our Lord, an eternity in which we don't experience his life, an eternity which the Bible describes as death eternal death, the second death. So how do we apply all of this to our lives? We don't live in a place today where, where followers of Jesus are being imprisoned and tortured and killed. Yet we need to know that this fate could still come upon us, any of us, even here. Jesus promises in Matthew 24 he says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. All nations, even seemingly safe and prosperous nations, 
will hate us because we follow Jesus Christ. This is a promise. Even if we don't face the extreme forms of persecution and torture and death that the believers in Smyrna face and that our brothers and sisters throughout the world are facing even today, we'll still experience other injustices, opposition, slander, horrible treatment because we follow and trust Jesus Christ. And Jesus may someday allow us also to experience a season of testing like the church in Smyrna experienced. And so it's so important that we learn this lesson that Jesus taught the church in Smyrna because there will be times when we find ourselves like them, cresting the top of the roller coaster, looking down at just how far we're about to drop. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, Jesus says. Because there's a deeper spiritual reality beyond the the appearance of things. And this deeper spiritual reality is solid and true and eternal. There's an eternal joy set before us. There's an eternal hope that's stronger than death. Today, if you feel that you're on a roller coaster that's cresting over that that huge hill and you're looking down at how far you're about to drop, hear Jesus' words to you today. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. There's more to our lives than the surface reality of suffering and death. For those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, there's eternal joy set before us. There's eternal hope stronger than death. Whether for the first time or the hundredth time, I urge you, let's place our complete trust in Jesus Christ who loves you so much that he endured the horrors of the cross, the horrors of suffering and death in your place so that you may enter into a life-giving, life-sustaining relationship with God. Receive the joy He sets before you. Enter into the eternal hope He offers that's stronger than death. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning as we come before you, we, we recognize and we acknowledge our weakness. Lord, we're always afraid on that roller coaster hill as it crests over and as we peek down at how far we're about to drop. And yet, Jesus, you call us to a radically different way of living, a, a way of living without fear. And so right now, Jesus, we confess our fear to you. Forgive us for the sin of fear. Lord, cleanse us by your blood and tear this fleshly fear out of our lives. Because Jesus, you endured the cross for us and we choose now to follow you no matter where you lead.
no matter how far we drop, you are our faithful Lord, and you will never leave us or forsake us. As we gather now, Lord, around your table, where we remember your suffering and death, I ask that you draw near to your people. I ask that you speak to us once again. Lord, set us free to follow you as your newly created people whom you, you call out and, and command to follow you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.